Good morning. Wasn't it a blessing to hear the choir this morning? You know, I don't often get the privilege of having the choir sing before my message. And I always look forward to it when we have that chance. And I'm very thankful. We're like one team in the choir and we work so hard through the year. We love each other and we support each other. And I'm thankful to be part of the choir. Before we go on this morning, shall we just open in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us such a wonderful choir. And we thank you for Sylvia and for Sonia and for Randy and for each one that leads us in this choir. And Lord, we pray you'll richly bless them in the concert that is to come. Lord, help us to be truly inspired by you every day of our lives. We thank you that we can say with this song, that's why we praise him. That's why we sing. That's why we offer him our everything. And we pray, Lord, that we will offer to you our everything every day. Our words, our life, our all to serve you. Lord, please hide me behind the cross this morning that the words that are spoken will be your words, Lord, from the Holy Spirit, that you'll reach out and nudge us and touch us and propel us on in our walk with you. We just ask this now and give thanks in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You know, I'm sure we've all had experiences in our life where we've tried to convince someone of something. Maybe you want to convince them about how good a movie is or how good a person is that you've met. And they're just not, they're not believing it for one reason or another. So finally you say to them, well, don't believe me. Come and see it for yourself. Come hear it for yourself. Listen to the song or see the movie or meet this person and you'll see what I'm talking about. Because by nature, we as human beings are skeptics. We have an innate sense of skepticism that we sometimes don't believe things. It reminds me of the man in the Gospels where he, his demon-possessed boy was healed. But before that, the Lord said to him, If you can, if you believe. And the man said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. What an honest answer it was. He had the faith. He believed, but he said, Help my unbelief, because this was such a great miracle that the Lord was about to do. When we think about unbelief and doubting and these kind of things, we often think about doubting Thomas. He's known now from the time of Jesus to the present time, when somebody doubts something, they say, you're a doubting Thomas. Think of that. And it's really kind of unfair because we shouldn't put that stigmatism on uh, Thomas because remember, at the end of the story, he believed Christ and he said, my Lord and my God. But he had to see with his eyes that Jesus was really alive. And he says in the scriptures, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. You see, Thomas wasn't there when Jesus had met the other disciples. And so when the time came, they tried to convince him. They said, Thomas, you won't believe it. Jesus is alive. He's resurrected from the dead just like he said he would. And Thomas said, I didn't see him. But Thomas, we saw him. I'm not going to believe it until I see it for myself. And so many people are like that in life. And one day it's, it's like that light bulb goes off in your mind or it goes off in your heart. And all of a sudden, it all becomes clear that Jesus is the Savior. And that you need a Savior, that you're a sinner and that you need to come to Christ. It's like a light bulb going off. And when you do that, you say, I believe in Jesus. 
And that's what we hope that each person will be able to say this morning. I believe in Jesus. Today, we're going to title our message just three words. Come and see. Come and see. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to the first chapter of John, chapter 1, verse 43. The Gospel according to John. We'll begin reading at chapter 1, verse 43. If you haven't read the Gospel of John recently, it's a great book. It's a great book for all you new believers in Christ to start off reading because it summarizes that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing we have life. In his name. We'll begin reading at John chapter 1 and verse 43. Here it says, The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said, Before Philip called you, while you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe you will see greater things than these? And he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you hereafter, you shall see the heavens open and the angels descending and ascending upon the son of man. May God bless the reading of his word to our hearts today. Today, we're going to talk about a man named Nathaniel and what his experience was in coming to Jesus. We're going to look, first of all, that Nathaniel heard the message from his brother, his natural brother. Secondly, Nathaniel had some doubts about who Jesus was at this time. And third, Nathaniel hastens to accept Jesus as his personal savior once he's heard him for himself, once he's seen him for himself. And we're going to see how the impact was made in his life. Well, let's look, first of all, at the first section here in verses 43 to 45. Nathaniel heard the message from his brother. We all know that the first disciples that Jesus called were fishermen. First, he called John and James and then Andrew and then Simon Peter. And then he calls Philip. And now today he's going to call another one. He's going to call Nathaniel. And there they were, the early disciples there on the shores of the Jordan River around John the Baptist who had come to proclaim the coming of the Messiah. And John pointed the people to Jesus one day. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when he did that, those who had been followers of him, like James and John and Andrew and Peter, they turned and followed Jesus. And they said to him, Master, Rabbi, where are you staying? And he said to them these special words also, come and see. When you come to Jesus, he says those words to you, come and see. Come and see what I can do for you. Come and see how I can change your life. Come and see how I can forgive you of your sins. Yes, Jesus called 
those first disciples. But I like how in verse 43, it says the following day, this is the next day after that happened, the following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. I stopped right there and I said, the Holy Spirit included that wording in the scripture. Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. Why did he want to go to Galilee? Did he want to visit some of his family or friends? No. Did he want to go fishing? No. Did he want to go to a nice fish restaurant there along the shores of Galilee? No. He went to Galilee with a purpose and his purpose was to call Philip and then to call Nathaniel to salvation and to service. And whenever Jesus did anything in his ministry, he always had a plan. He always had a purpose. He never did anything randomly or by accident. He didn't get up in the morning and say, well, let's see, what should I do today? How did he know what to do every day? Because he spent the night the early morning hours, praying to the Father, Lord, what would you have me to do? Father, what would you have me to do today? And then he went out and it says he wanted to go to Galilee. And I thought about how special that is, how the Lord wanted to go to Galilee. And he calls Philip with two words also. He says, follow me. And when Jesus says to follow follow him, you can't say no. You can't resist it. His love is compelling you. His love is calling you. And it's calling you this morning. Come, follow me. Come and see what I can do for you in your life. And that's what he did with Philip in these verses. You know, there's two prominent men in the New Testament by the name of Philip. One is the apostle here, the disciple named Philip, who served the Lord all his life. And the other one is Philip the deacon. Philip, the the evangelist, the one who preached the word and went forth speaking to the Ethiopian eunuch and so forth there in the book of Acts. But here Philip is a disciple of the Lord. He lived there in the little city of Bethsaida along the shores of the Sea of Galilee, one of the sister cities of Capernaum. And the definition of this city, Bethsaida, is very interesting. It means the house or place of fishing. So it was associated with fishermen. And when Jesus went there, he says, I'm going to call some fishermen to be my disciples. You know, if I was the Lord and I was saying, who am I going to pick to be my disciples? How many of us would say this band of 12? I mean, they were a ragtag group, fishermen, tax gatherers, people that were despised by the world. And yet Jesus says, I'm going to choose those 12 and they're going to turn the world upside down. And the gospel is going to go forth from them to all the world, even to our present day, all because Jesus took these men, a few good men. But Jesus is coming today and he's not coming to Bethsaida. He's coming to Danville. He's coming to San Ramon. He's coming to Dublin. He's coming to Walnut Creek and Castro Valley and all the cities where we're from. And he's coming to our neighborhoods and he's coming to our houses and he's coming to our hearts. And he's saying these words to us. Come and see. Follow me. That's what the Lord wants to do in our lives today. And he's looking for a few servants out there today. He wants a few disciples, a few workers, a few people that will serve him in his kingdom. And that's what he was looking for that day on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And we notice that in verse 41 of our chapter, that one of the first evangelists and the first thing that Andrew did was he found his brother Peter and he went and told him about the Savior. And now we're going to see the same pattern repeated with Philip 
going to his brother, his natural brother, Nathaniel, to tell him about the Lord. You know, evangelism starts at home. It starts at home. Remember the man that Jesus sent back to his home? He says, go back to your home, go back to your home country and tell them what great things that God has done for you. And as a Christian, that's the responsibility we have in our neighborhoods, at work, wherever we go, in the grocery store or whatever, to be a testimony for the Lord. There was a man named Robert Munger and he described evangelism this way. He says, evangelism is the spontaneous overflow of a heart that has been set free. The spontaneous overflow of a glad and free heart in Jesus Christ. Yes, when your heart is set free, you have to tell people about it. You don't want to keep silent about it. Like Jesus said, you don't take your lampstand and put it under a bushel. But you set it up on a lampstand for all the people to say, see, come and see what Jesus has done for me. He's changed my life. He's saved my soul. He gave me eternal life. He's forgiven me of my sins. He's given me a joy and a peace. And we can tell people this, but some people are skeptical and they have to see it for themselves. And so we say, come to church, come visit our church, come hear the choir, come hear the message. And when they do that, they see Jesus for themselves because every single person has to find him personally. It's not enough to have to be born in a Christian country or to be born in a Christian home. You and I have to make that personal decision to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And that's exactly what each of these disciples had to do. And we see that when Philip goes to find his brother in verse 44, it says, Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And it says in verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. You know, when you're a newly saved person, you can't wait to tell people about the Lord. And I know we've all had that experience. We've been excited. We go to our grandparents. We go to our aunts and uncles. We go to our cousins. We go to our fathers and mothers. We go to our sisters and brothers to tell them about the Lord. And what do we think? They're going to automatically accept the Lord right away, don't we? Because we are so filled with joy and He's changed our life. But what happens? They reject Christ. They don't want to hear it. They say, you're too zealous. You're too much of a fanatic for Jesus. We don't want that. Tone it down. And they throw cold water on you. And how many of us have been through that where people have thrown cold water on us? People from our own family have not accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. And it's hard to take and it's sad. But don't lose heart. Because as we pray for them, as we live before them, as we share with them, the Lord will touch their lives. And we really believe that He will save their souls. And so when Philip found his brother and told him about it, it's a wonderful thing. The word Nathaniel, the name Nathaniel, means gift of God. And so there on the shores of the, of the Sea of Galilee, we're going to see a man who's going to receive a free gift from God. I appreciated what Sean shared this morning at the breaking of bread. And he shared this verse that says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God or the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, no matter what you think, you cannot earn salvation. You can't merit it. You can't deserve it. It's a free gift given to us by God. That's why the Apostle Paul says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, lest anyone should boast. And so when he comes and tells his brother Nathaniel about the promised Messiah, 
we see that he has some doubts. Notice what he says in verse 46. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Oh, wow. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, Nathanael was a good Jew. He was a godly Jew. He knew the Scriptures and he loved God, but he wasn't saved. And so as soon as Philip, his brother, mentions Nazareth, he goes, Nazareth? That despised city? What good thing can come out of Nazareth? You know, a lot of cities nowadays get stigmas attached to them, like San Francisco has stigma attached to them about uh, all kinds of things. And same thing with Richmond, with all the murders that go on in Oakland. And then you get a certain stigma go, you know, going on uh, on those kinds of things. Well, that's what happened with this city here that uh, Jesus was from. And Jesus wasn't born in Nazareth. He was born where? In Bethlehem. But his, his parents were from that area. And so when he went back, he lived in that area. And he was not ashamed, the Bible says, to be called a Nazarene. He wasn't ashamed to be associated with the people of that city. He's not ashamed to be associated with this church. He's not ashamed to be associated with you. No matter what your past, no matter what you're doing in your life, no matter what your sins, He's not ashamed to accept you and to make you a follower of His and to make you His child. He's not ashamed of that. But here Nathaniel, he cannot understand it. And so he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Dr. Merrill Unger in his Bible dictionary says, in the process of time, its population, that is in Nazareth, became impure, mixed with other peoples. Its dialect rough, provincial and strange and its people seditious so that they were held in little consideration. The name Nazarene was but another word for despised one. So now you can understand why Nathaniel would say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, maybe nothing else. But Jesus came forth from there. The Son of God, the Messiah, came from there to touch people's lives. You know, the early Christians were often called Nazarenes in a derogatory way. Acts chapter 24 and verse 5, when they were speaking about Paul, the Jews says, We have found this man a plague, a creator of dissension among the Jews throughout the world, a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. So they even put the Christians down. Yes, they can call us whatever they want to call us today. Whatever they want to call us as Christians, we'll take it because we're followers of Christ. And I like the name Christian because it has Christ in it. Christ in the name. But we're many things. We're Christians. We're followers of Christ. We're disciples. We're believers in Him. And we're not ashamed. One of the songs that you're going to hear on the choir concert is very beautiful. And one of the lines in it says, we are united in Jesus Christ. We are the soldiers of the light. We don't wrestle flesh and blood, but principalities of the dark. We do our marching to one beat, crushing the enemy under our feet. We are mighty in our stand with God's word in our hand. You take a bunch of Christians, lowly Christians, put God's word in their hands, put the Holy Spirit in their hearts, and you have a mighty army, an army that can change the world and even today turn it upside down. And that's what the Lord wants us to do. We shouldn't be ashamed Christians going around uh, downcast and so forth. He wants us to hold our heads up and be thankful that we are saved, that we are Christians and we can tell people the way of salvation. We shouldn't be ashamed. 
We sure are not ashamed of the gospel of God because it's the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So on this day, Nathaniel has got to make a decision. What's he going to do? Is he going to believe his brother? Is he going to believe the message that he heard from his brother? Or is he going to walk away and say, well, nothing good can come out of Nazareth. I'm not even going to check it out. But you know what? We see from this passage of Scripture that he did check it out. And we know that doubt and unbelief can be a very sad thing in life because it can keep people from coming to Christ. There was a man named Henry Drummond who preached a message in 1897 and he said, Christ never failed to distinguish between doubt and unbelief. And there is a difference. Doubt says, I can't believe. Unbelief says, I won't believe. Doubt is honest. Unbelief is obstinacy. Doubt is looking for light. Unbelief is content with darkness. Loving darkness rather than light is what Christ attacked and attacked unsparingly. Yes, when the Lord Jesus saw that person coming to him that had doubts, he didn't cast them away and said, I have no use for you because you have doubts. If a person is doubting and is sincere and is really questioning and really wants to know, the Lord will save that person. He really will. It's the person that wants to argue, that wants to take you into a long, drawn out conversation at the end, doesn't want to believe. Don't even give those people time because all they want to do is waste your time. They want to get you all agitated and upset. If a person is sincere, you won't have to convince them. The Holy Spirit does the convincing and does the presentation for us. Yes, there's nothing wrong with doubts as long as when we come to Christ, we accept the facts that he gives. And so I love what Philip does here in this in this passage. Notice he doesn't argue with his brother. He doesn't carry on a philosophical discussion or a religious debate. He just says these three words. Come and see. Come and see him for yourself. And then after you hear him and after you see him, if you still believe the way you do now, fine. And I bet that really got to Nathaniel. And I bet he was under a fig tree, it says. And I'm sure he was sitting under that fig tree and thinking, could this be really the Messiah? I've never seen my brother Philip so excited. I've never seen him so different. He's never been like this before. He's never been so interested in something like this before. And if he thinks he's the Messiah, I don't see how he could be out of Nazareth. But you know what? I'm going to go. I'm going to go and see Jesus for myself. Isn't that a beautiful thing? And he says these simple words, come and see. I thought, what simplicity, but yet what power were in those words, come and see. And that's what a personal testimony for Christ is all about. They want to, want to tell others what Jesus has done for us. And they may not believe the Bible, but they can't not believe your life has changed because they saw you before and now they see you after. There's a change. And Nathaniel saw Philip before and now he saw him after. There was a change. And that pricked his conscience and that got his curiosity up. So he decided, I am going to go check Jesus out for myself. Reminds me of the story of the Samaritan woman. Remember when she got saved there at the well, what did she do? She went into her village, she went into her city and she proclaimed Christ. And she said to these people in her city, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? That's in John 4, 29. And the people flocked out to see Jesus. They flocked out. And they came and they heard and they believed in Him, the Samaritans. 
And then they said to the woman, they says, now we believe not because of what you have said, for we ourselves have heard him and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the savior of the world. When you come to Jesus with a question in your mind, is he the Messiah? He will convince you that he is. His word will come alive in your hearts and you will believe on him. Yes, our personal testimony is come and see what Jesus has done for me. Try to remember that this week when you meet people. Come and see what Jesus has done for me. And that will be a testimony. And now we see the glorious conclusion in verses 47 to 55 about how Nathanael came. Notice in verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit or no guile. I really love that because notice Nathanael got up and he was coming toward Jesus. Jesus was walking and he was coming toward Jesus. He actually had to get up and go to Jesus. And every person who got saved in the New Testament, just like today, has to get up from your seat and you have to go to Jesus. He's there. He's walking toward you. You have to get up and meet him and he will save your soul. You can't stay seated. You can't stay on the sidelines. You have to get up and come to Jesus. And the invitation has been that way from all these years. It comes down to the word come. Come. That's why we love to sing that hymn. And Billy Graham has it every crusade. Just as I am without one plea. But that thy blood was shed for me. But that thou bidst me come to thee. O Lamb of God, I come. I come. Yes, where was Nathaniel? He was in darkness. He was in sin. He was under the control of the devil like every unsafe person. He had to come. He had to get up from under that fig tree and he had to come to Jesus. And that's exactly what he did. But before he even gets a chance to ask a question, raise a doubt or a concern about Jesus coming from Nazareth, notice that Jesus initiates the conversation and he said, Behold, look, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And he probably looked, how does he know me? Have we met before? Does he know my family? Did Philip tell him something about me? You know, you can just imagine what might have been going through his mind. What did you tell Jesus about me? Have you ever come to a meeting and heard a message and the message, the preacher is like he's speaking right to you about your situation and you said, who told Adel about my situation? Who told Bill about that one? Or whoever is giving the word. But that's what Nathaniel is probably thinking. But you know what? Jesus knows everything about you. He knows your past. He knows your present and what you're going through right now. And he knows your future and what's going to happen to you. And guess what? He still loves you. He still loves me. If he can look at my sin and my life of misery and agony before I'm saved, and he can say, Dean, I love you. How much more is he going to love us now? He loves us with an everlasting love. And he comes to us and says, I respect you. That's what he's really saying to, to Nathaniel. He said, you're, you're a good man, Nathaniel. You're a religious man. You have a good heart. You're very sincere. But was that enough? No, that did not save him. He needed a touch of the master's hand. He needed to come to Jesus. But Nathaniel asked Jesus, how do you know me? How do you know me? 
And I love that Jesus doesn't give him a long answer or anything like that. Well, you see, I'm God and I'm omniscient and I've known you from eternity past. And I knew that he doesn't go into all that, though it's true. But notice what he says in verse 50. Or in verse 49 and 48, he says, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, that's an interesting expression. While you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, how did he know that Jesus couldn't have seen him there? Because the fig tree was covering him completely and Jesus wasn't around. There were only two people were there, Philip and Nathaniel, when they spoke. And he knew for the first time in his life that he was not in the presence of an ordinary man. He was in the presence of God himself, the living son of God. And he probably thought to himself, now I know what Philip was saying. Now I know why he was so excited. Now I know. And it's like a person, you invite them to church, they come and get saved and they say, wow, you didn't tell me it was even this great to be a Christian. And that's, that's the blessing of it. Yes, the Lord knows how to change people's lives and change their thinking and change everything about them. Yes, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Reminds me of the verses in Psalm 139, verses 1 to 4, where David had this same thought about how much the Lord knows him. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my lying down and my rising up. You understand my thought from afar. You comprehend my path and my lying down are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, Lord, but behold, you know it all together. All of a sudden it hit him. The light bulb came on. This is the Messiah. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is the true Lord and Master, the King. And he was starting to get excited. And notice what he says. In verse 49, Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Both of those expressions have an exclamation point. Now, we know from the scriptures that the, that the punctuation wasn't there. They, this was put in there for emphasis, but it, it's, it's really what he was doing. He was excited. Rabbi, Lord, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. You're the one we've been waiting for. Now, I believe what Philip has told me. And that is exactly the declaration of faith that he made. You know, if just a little while ago, we had a baptism up here. Now we have a Christmas tree. It's a multi-purpose. It's great. <laughs> but when Adel and Mike were in the water, I liked how they say, based on your declaration of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. They go down under the water. They come back up again. Declaration of faith. When you have a declaration of faith, you have signed your name to the dotted line. I want to become a Christian. Lord, I give my life to you. I pledge my life to you. We saw it at the wedding that we had here recently. And, and when Amber and Dave, when they got married over at the, at the uh, Marriott, they pledged their lives together to be a couple. And when you come to Jesus Christ, you pledge your life to him. No matter what happens in life, he will be your savior. He will be your Lord. Romans 10.9 illustrates the point of declaring our faith in Christ. It says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto salvation and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Yes, it is a blessing. 
And you know, many Bible scholars and many Bible students believe that Nathaniel is the same person as Bartholomew, who was one of the disciples of the Lord. Because when you read the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it mentions Bartholomew. And in John, it talks about Nathaniel. So conjecture is that they were the same person that one name was his proper name and the other name was his surname. And I'd like to believe that is true because I really believe that this man, Nathaniel, his life was changed. He became a disciple. And later on in John chapter 21, verses 1 and 2, you'll see his name there. Turn over to John chapter 21, verses 1 and 2. After the Lord Jesus had risen from the dead, he appeared to his disciples and that type of thing. Then the disciples decided to go fishing. They went back to their to their profession of fishing and the Lord is going to appear to them on the shores of Galilee. But notice what it says in verse one of chapter 21. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, which is Galilee. And in this way, he showed himself Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee. The sons of Zebedee and the and two others of his disciples were together. He was there at the beginning. He was there at the end. I offer you, he was there the whole time. He was a follower of Jesus. Followed him, saw his miracles, listened to his teaching to every word and believed in him as his own personal savior. And when the time came, there is no place that he will be except in heaven. And one day we'll get to meet Nathaniel and say, you know, we had a message on you. We talked about you that day on the 26th of November in in San Ramon. May the Lord encourage us to know how much He cares for us and all we have to do is come and see. Just come and see. It's like it says in the Psalms, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Have you ever been asked to taste something and you've never tasted it before and you're a little skeptical, I don't know if it's going to taste good or not. And then you taste it and you say, Mmm, that is good. Sylvia's baklava, that is good. The pink fluff, that is good. Gina's yam casserole, that is good. And we all have great dishes that we prepare and cook and all those things. But when you taste something that's really good, you want to have more of it. You want to continue to devour it. And that's what we do with the Savior. Once you taste Jesus, you're not going to walk away and say, well, I tried him. I tried Jesus, didn't work for me. Or I tasted him. Or I checked him out. No, when you come sincerely to Christ with a humble heart, with a sincere heart, you're not going to be able to walk away without the Savior. Oh, there were a few that did it. And sadly, such as the rich young ruler who came to Jesus one day and then because of his money, because of his greed and not wanting to give that up, he did not follow Jesus that day. And we're never told that Jesus came back that way again. And there may not be another chance for you today. It might be your only chance today, this Sunday morning, to come to Jesus. Come and see. Follow Him. And that's what we all need to do that don't know the Lord. So in conclusion today, we've seen the life of a man named Nathaniel, A fisherman. Living in a quiet little fishing village along the Sea of Galilee with his brother Philip and, and others. And one day on those shores of Galilee, he met Jesus for the first time. He heard his words. He listened intently. And he says, you rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. He got saved that day. No need for him to doubt anymore. No need to to not believe, but to believe in him. 
And yes, he was a good man. He was a religious man. He knew the scriptures, but he needed to be saved. And you may be in the audience today and you may not have ever done anything really bad in your life. And you say, well, I'm kind of a good person. I haven't really done anything real bad. I have not committed adultery or murder and I've never done this or that or stolen anything. But you know what? Every person is a sinner in God's eyes. And when he looks down upon us, he sees the sin of the heart. He sees us on the inside. Just like he saw Philip under that fig tree, he sees you sitting in the audience today. He sees what you're going through. He knows what you're going through. He sees your life and He wants you. He wants you. And and other people will say, well, I'm too bad. Some people say I'm too good. Some people say I'm too bad. I've done too many bad things. He'll never be able to love me and forgive me. Wrong. He loves everyone and forgives everyone. Right? Right, Alex? Didn't He save your life and change your life? Alex, when you see Him, always smiling, always happy. And that's the Lord, right? That's the Lord. When He saves us, He puts a new song in our heart, even praise to our God. So the word to our hearts today is this. Come and see. Come to Jesus and He will change your life. And if you're here today and you're a believer in Him, we go through trials, we go through difficulties and He knows what we're going through and He loves us and He's going to carry us through this trial until we get to the end, until we get to the end of the journey and we Find ourselves in His presence. May the Lord encourage our hearts in this simple way from the story of two brothers, Philip and Nathaniel. Philip, he couldn't wait to tell Nathaniel. He got discouraged when Nathaniel didn't believe it right away. But then when Nathaniel went himself to Jesus and heard Him for himself, he accepted Him into his life and he too became a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Shall we just close in a word of prayer? We're just going to give everyone an opportunity today after the meeting to come up and talk to one of the elders or brothers or sisters of the church. If you want to get saved and you want to become a follower of Jesus and he's convicted you and touched you this morning, all you have to do is tell somebody about it and come up and be saved. Shall we just close in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Philip and Nathaniel and all the early disciples and how they were one to you, Lord, and how they followed you. And I pray that each person here today will be a follower of Jesus. And if there's someone, Lord, even one in this audience who has not yet decided to follow you, Lord, may today be the day they come up and they tell someone that they want to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Lord, we thank you that your word is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And your Holy Spirit is working in people's lives today. And we pray that more people will come. Because the time is short, Lord. We're at the end of the journey. And we're almost at your coming. And we just thank you and praise you for this day. May you dismiss us with your blessing. Bless our remainder of our day and all that we do and say. In Jesus' name, amen.